We wish to acknowledge the traditional caretakers of the land we record this podcast on, the Yuggera people and their continued connection to the land and waterways of Yuggera country. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Hello and welcome to the Sports Social, bringing you sports chats for everybody. It's Georgie here. Libby is away today as she has some sick kids, but we still really wanted to drop a little episode of Sports Shorts into your feed so that we could quickly talk to you about the Women's World Cup and specifically the amazing $200 million federal funding grant that was announced by Anthony Albanese last Friday. This funding grant is going to be for infrastructure, equipment and facilities for women's sport in Australia. And what's really quite, I think, unique about this program is that right from the outset, the government has appointed an athlete panel to oversee the development of the program. So they've appointed former Matilda Talcarp, Lauren Jackson, amazing basketball player, former Australian netball captain Liz Ellis and multi-gold medal winner Madison Di Rosario. Those four women are going to lead the athlete panel and provide, I guess, a really good lived experience perspective on what is needed in women's sport in this country. The funding is not specific to soccer, but obviously soccer is one of the biggest participation sports in Australia and will be increasing their participation numbers, we hope, off the back of the World Cup. So soccer certainly stands to gain a lot from this funding, but it's a program that's going to be open to all sports and applications will open in 2024. What we were really interested in was how this compared to a conversation we had with Jen Dorman, the head of Women's Sport Australia, back in October 2022. Take a listen to what Jen said was really needed in the Australian sporting environment to lift women's sport to new heights. What other things do you feel like are the areas that are still lacking? Because as you said, you know, we've come so far in the last kind of decade with the, you know, the rise of NRLW and AFLW and, you know, netball is really coming into its own, women's cricket, women's soccer. There's so much that has improved. What do you feel like we're still struggling with in terms of that equality amongst men's sport? It's a really good question. Like I think there's still so much we have come so far, but sort of setting up competitions and things like that, all of that work needs to be done in conjunction with sort of a cultural shift that we really need to see to enable female athletes and female administrators and coaches and journalists and all of those people who play a crucial role in the sporting infrastructure to actually feel like there's space for them and that they are actually revered for the, what they do, not just an afterthought compared to the boys. So I think it's been really interesting to see sort of different governments putting in um, mandates around sort of female administration and getting females on sporting boards and things like that because that's actually started to create a bit of a cultural shift to make sure that there's more diversity within the boardroom and hence in the strategy. And I think that's been a really good shift to see. It's been great to see the rise of sort of female journalists and sort of the women in sport media movement happening. Mm. And I think it's just sort of making sure that we've got the infrastructure at, 
at club level so that women and girls competitions and leagues and teams do get given the same opportunities as the boys. Jen, when you talk about infrastructure, are you talking about things as simple as a change, you know, appropriate change facilities and bathrooms? Is that when when you say infrastructure, are we talking that sort of simplistically? I I think so. Infrastructure, uh, probably I'm I'm thinking more about the entire environment and the way that everything fits together within the sporting network. But infrastructure itself, the, the physical facilities and things like that is definitely a big part of that. So I think it's just making sure that we've got the ability to have females given the same sort of recognition and equal opportunities to facilities, to uniforms, to premium stadiums, to all of the different sort of sports dietitians and things like that, that the males are traditionally given great access to. We also spoke to Sarah Walsh, head of Women's Legacy and Inclusion for Football Australia about what the soccer facilities in Australia look like. What we did not long ago was a national audit on our facilities and did a real deep dive on um, different metrics within within a facility. So, you know, number of change rooms. Did you have a dedicated change room for girls? You'd be surprised at how much the infrastructure of a club, before we even talk about the people that run the club, actually, you know, unintentionally exclude girls. So uh, we looked at all these metrics Various things, small things like showers with curtains, mm. uh, really basic stuff, uh, to find out that only one in five of our community clubs, is 2,500, are considered inclusive for women and girls. So just like if you wow. stop and just think about that number, it actually correlates with the percentage of women we have close to playing in, in our game, which is a quarter close to. So uh, we're just starting to think a bit more critically about you know, what our clubs are offering. And then second to that, it's around education. So making sure that we're shifting the mindsets of, you know, the people that are running these clubs, making sure that their committees have female representation and that they're, they're educated to, you know, I guess change with the needs of their participants and consumers and, and just making sure, you know, coaches are educated. Coaches are one of the biggest factors as to why players leave the game, male or female. But it's no surprise that you, you would know that it's, mm. it's you know, spend the most amount of time with that person. So we're looking into all these things a bit more critically and data is at the heart of that. As you can see, this federal funding, while it's not a lot, $200 million in the scheme of a country isn't huge, it has the potential to really unlock grassroots sports for girls and put them on the trajectory to continue to participate and possibly become the next Matilda, the next Diamond, the next amazing runner, marathon runner, Olympic swimmer, all these things really matter in keeping our girls engaged in sport. Hi guys, I'm Geordie Duncan and I'm the current Australian women's pool freediving champion. I love sport because I truly believe it's good for the body, mind and soul and it allows me to connect with other like-minded people around the world and I just I love how sport brings out the passion in everyone. The other exciting announcement that came through last Friday was around Australia's anti-siphoning laws. These are to do with the broadcasting of sport within Australia and what the communications minister has acknowledged is that the legislation is quite out of date given current technologies and that changes need to be made so that women's sport 
doesn't sit behind a paywall. This means that more women's sport will be free to watch on TV and also make sure that the legislation encompasses not only women's sports, but para sports. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Sports Social. We so enjoy bringing you these episodes and if you have a friend who you think would enjoy these sports chats please share it with them and let them know about us and we absolutely love receiving your feedback and your reviews it totally lights us up if you are enjoying this kind of sports content head over to our instagram page at the sports social podcast otherwise we will chat to you next week bye bye